friend, Harriet Shock. Harriet. Okay. Hi. I just, Hi, uh, Harriet. I'm so happy to see you. Thank you. Great to see you. It's been way too long. I mean, I've you know, seen you because I've watched Game Changers, but you haven't seen me. I have not seen you. And, and that's crazy because when I think of how much time we spent together over the, the, what, what do you call that? The, the 2010s. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of time, a lot of Tuesdays you performed a number of times, not just doing your own stuff, but when you backed up other people and, and, um, and helped me out when people disappeared on the fly. Um, so Harriet, tell me what has, what were you doing when, when COVID started? Like what, what were you in the middle of? I was getting ready to do a show at, uh, this, um, literary agency. And that afternoon they called and said, we're canceling the show. And I thought, how weird, you know, and then from then on all shows got canceled. It was, it was wild. Oh, wow. I did not do the way a lot of people did. I didn't stay in my house and petrified and cowering like my students did. I switched to Zoom for my songwriting classes and I actually have students who haven't left the house in three years. I'm not one of those. I I went out constantly, so. Did you from the beginning? Yeah. And did you get COVID? Oh, well, I got COVID like everybody else, but it was, I tell you, the cold I had four weeks ago was worse than COVID because that affected my voice. Right. COVID didn't. I just, you know, would lie there, you know, with fever for a while and then it went away. Now, I realize not everyone had that experience, so I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying that's the way I did COVID. When did you, did you have Omicron? Which one did you have? I had Delta and then years later I had Omicron. Well, I have not had it. Poo-poo. I have not had it yet. I have not had it. I'm knocking on wood. You have had enough of it that you have the immunity, so. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone around me had it. And, um, you know, for me, the concern was the the long haulers and and the complications because I have some underlying conditions and stuff. So that was the stuff that was, you know. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. Good for you. Um, But, but, um. I, I'm really in awe that you, so you didn't change your life at all. You were going to oh, the no, market. No, I changed my were... life considerably. I couldn't hmm. perform anywhere. I couldn't do any of the shows that were planned. I couldn't have people to my house for my classes. So I changed everything. I now have three Zoom classes and some private students who come over now. But um, the Zoom classes now have included two people from Austria, one from England, and a bunch from New York who would never have been able to get to my downing room table. So it worked out, you know, I, I don't mean that oh, COVID worked out well for me. I don't mean that. I just mean that it was really helpful to have Zoom. I wish I'd bought stock in Zoom before this happened, you know. Okay, so I did. And the stock has tanked. since. Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> well, it hasn't exactly tanked, but it's gone down substantially. Yes. Oh, wow. Well, let me look. I, I'm going to look at what the numbers are today. But it, <laughs> the, yeah, the, the Zoom stock was not. I bought it. I bought it right when the pandemic started and I got on Zoom. And my cousin, who was my stockbroker at the time, said, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Zoom is over. And I said, bullshit. Now, 
I believe the stock will come back around. Tech stocks are just struggling. The market's just struggling. But yeah. But I don't think Zoom is going anywhere because like you, I have found now I can interview people all over the world. And I have. Yeah. And I couldn't do that when it was in my living room. That's right. Right. So that's and you know, the-, the classes I hold on Zoom, you would think, oh, they're just squares. They don't really get to know each other. You would not believe the bonding that's gone on. These people love each other. And I'm not sure they would have been able to get here because they're scattered around the country. But there there are friendships formed from that that would never have happened. And so you have to look at the cup half full, you know. <laughs> I really do that. And I totally agree with that, Harry. You know, the COVID crazies who are watching us today, they have all met each other here, you know, doing, doing these. Yes. And the community has gotten so strong. As a matter of fact, um, Cindy Beagle, remember Cindy Beagle and, yeah, and Roberta, her mom, um, one of the COVID crazies that met them on my show is visiting with them in person in New York right now at this moment. Well, okay. Define COVID crazy. Is it people who got crazy during COVID or crazy because of COVID? <laughs> People who, who we were all very overly, like I was going live seven days a week for the first many months because I wasn't leaving the house and neither were they. So we were keeping each other company. So I'm in awe that you were leaving the house right from the beginning. Uh, I, wow, that was really brave. Well, I mean, where was I going? I was taking walks. I was going to the grocery store. It wasn't like I was having parties, (laughs) (laughs) but, um. Yeah, I mean, I, I see people in my neighborhood to this day alone in the car with a mask on. So there is, I wondered if COVID mm-hmm. crazy had to do with that, but maybe not. Well, I, I think that I, I'm not that COVID, I'm, I'm not crazy like that, but I still wear a mask in the grocery store and I still, I still wear a mask when I go into place, okay. some places, yeah. And I was still eating. I've just started eating inside. In fact, I went to a grocery store yesterday for the first time and didn't put my mask on. And it, it felt really weird. But I'm trying to stretch my wings because we're going to do some traveling. And, and so, okay, how about that? Have you traveled? Have you been traveling through it? Uh, I don't think I did. I, I didn't really have any place to go. <clears throat> my sister came here at Christmas this time. But we missed being with each other every Christmas while that was going on. And, you know, I didn't go to Dallas because I figured, you know, she was not going to come here. I I probably shouldn't go there and be around her for her sake. I don't know. People, People were really nervous about it. So I wanted to try to keep everyone calm by not doing anything outrageous. Sorry, I'm typing and I'm letting people know that we're live right now. So oh, okay. um, I'm sending that. And I'm also, I know you have people who are going to come on board and I want to make sure that I um, acknowledge them because a few of them have let me know that they're going to want to talk to you while we're live. Oh, so I'm, yeah, I didn't uh, know that was possible. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to try and, and, and I don't like to, to look away from you, but I'm going to try and be a little aware of what's going on. Precious Harriet, my wonderful rosebud. I am up in faraway Austria to watch oh, you and gosh, Vicky a, during the one, during the interview. So great love and hugs. B- Binny. Bine, I'm so glad <laughs> she should be asleep by now. 
I'll tell you, that story is a love story. Uh, when she was 17, she saw me, she heard my song in a Jane Seymour movie called Matters of the Heart. Ah. She's like 33 now, 34. And yes. we've been in touch ever since. She heard the song and, oh and wrote me and we've been, she's come to visit me twice in America. Um, I'm sorry, Rufus is having a nervous breakdown. Um, I'm going to open the door and let Rufus out. Of Hold course on. you are. Rufus, you're driving me crazy. Go. Well, thank you, oh. Bina, for, oh my for staying God. up, oh. but go to bed. Oh, Lord. I, I it, you know, Rufus barked for a year and a half, and now Rufus is barking every game changers, and something's going to have, Snubby's going to have to take Rufus with him. Lise Glar is here also saying oh hello. Oh, my God. Now I tell just, me how you know Lee, because I, I love Lee. Well, if you go to his, you know, his vlog, he did a, a whole vlog about me and he played the records of mine. He played on, I was so fortunate. Oh. And so my first couple of albums, he was playing on them. And uh, he's just, he's not only the greatest bass player ever, yes. he's just such a wonderful person. And I, I really love him. And I'm fortunate that I found a bass player named Joe Lamano, who is as much like Lee Sklar as any bass player I've ever worked with. Wow, that's saying a lot. It's really saying a lot. He's very melodic and he waits, like on this new album, he's waiting until the cello, violin, and piano, and flute are all together so he can do his part because he kind of has some degree of improvisation. You know, he's not just playing the bass note or the, right. the chord. Wow. So, yeah, so Lee Sklar, yeah, my hero, like many other people. Um, Lee is saying hi to you, as a matter of fact. So he's giving you a special hello at the moment. <laughs> um, so Harriet, there are many people here that were not with us last. I love that she's here from Austria. I, I'm part Austrian. Wow. <laughs> Um, I, um, there are many people that haven't been here. So let's talk about, should we, should we talk first before we get into a little music? Should we talk a little bit first? Um, whatever you want. I mean, let's talk a little bit first. Okay. Let's talk a little bit first. So tell, I know you, you, I know I can't say that you're from Texas. I have to say you're from Dallas. Yes. I know that difference. <laughs> now, what is the, now, why is that? Well, you say Texas and people think, you know, cowboy boots and hats, but right. Dallas is the home of Neiman Marcus. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Actually, Snuffy wanted me to ask you if you knew if you knew about the cellar. Did you did you know about the cellar? The cellar? The cellar were these little clubs and there was one in Houston, one in Dallas and one in Fort Worth. And they were kind of like there were strippers, but the bands would play. Did, did you know about that place? I probably left before that happened oh no 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 it might go. be before your time you might be too young it was in the 70s in the early 70s late 60s well, I, that's when i was traveling <laughs> i was nah. right out here uh, okay okay yeah. no, um I, so the bands played for the strippers interesting well no 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 they didn't play for the strippers they they played and if they weren't if the strippers were stripping and dancing they weren't allowed to stop playing so they had to play really really a lot of music or else they get fired. So, so that was the thing about, there's like a documentary. And speaking of documentaries, I know there's a documentary that's in the works about you. Tell us about it. 
Well, it, uh, it's called Hollywood Town, the Harriet Shock Story. And how it came about is I was playing the coffee gallery backstage in Altadena. It's a club there, which I, I'm also playing this Sunday. But ah, a, nice. A, yeah, a filmmaker named Tom Solari was in the audience. He was a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And he felt that he, he had some sort of epiphany at that show. And he felt like, other people should know about this mm. and so much so that he went oh the day covid started everything closed down that's when he decided he needed to go on indiegogo to raise the first funds for the film so that's what he did and so we've had three fundraisers and luckily we've reached our goal each time i mean it hasn't been millions it's been right you know but still I'm very fortunate that people came out of the woodwork to support, you know, and so it's now in editing. It's being edited by him. And um, so he did major photography. I did a concert at Celebrity Center with five cameras. He's got these high-def 4K cameras that make me look like a hag. And I would really prefer an iPhone. Thank you very much. (laughs) But anyway, <laughs> so, so, but it was fun because I had my cellist, my violinist, my flute player. Uh, I was at piano and Joe Lomano on bass and Andrea was singing uh, back up. And also she sang a duet with Gary Imhoff uh-huh. uh, in the middle of the show. So it was an entire two hour show that's been filmed oh. and is now being, uh, you know, edited by Randall michael tobin who's doing the sound so i don't know how what the movie's going to be like uh, he also interviewed my family on zoom and people came from my early career here and were interviewed on camera live. wow yeah and so it's been nice and you know <laughs> there have been two previews i don't know why it's so hard to explain to people where the previews are so every time I would say, go to Indiegogo and click on the previews, they would see the original promo that he did about why he's making the movie in the first place, which yeah. is fine, but that that wasn't the preview of the movie. So anyway, we have two of those, and hopefully we'll get it done maybe by April or May. That's thrilling, Harriet. And and you're so deserving uh, to have that attention brought to you. Absolutely. So let's ruin the documentary and talk about Harriet Shock. No, I'm kidding. Because that's going to be completely different. That's going to be other people's perspective of you. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, no, that's fine. Who knows? He may be using part of this. (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) Okay, so... I know you grew up in Dallas. I know your dad was musical, although a dermatologist, which is an interesting, but a jazz musician. Yes. Well, yeah, he put himself through college playing in a jazz band, but he could play anything, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, so he would teach me to play by ear, you know, and eventually I would say, I know, I mean, you tell me what chord to go to and I'd go, I know, I know. So that was it was a blessing and a curse, a curse only that I never learned to really read music because ah. I would always cheat when my piano teacher would play it the first time to see if I really wanted to play it. I would then pretend to be reading. And so I've never really gotten the reading thing quite down. But the blessing part was that music has always been a bond with him 
and such a major part of my life. I think he really wanted to do music for a living, but his father, who was the head of the chemical engineering department at the University of Texas, they named the shock laboratories after him. Wow. He said, well, is it gonna be medicine or music? <laughs> so, you know, he had two children. Well, by then he didn't, but anyway, so he became a doctor, but the fact that I got to do music thrilled him. And how wonderful is that, that he was supporting of your artistic? So was it, was that what it was always going to be? And were you a prodigy? Did you take to it immediately? I pretty young, I played the piano and they would put me in things that they needed somebody who could do that. But no, when I came out here married to an actor, I, um, I was going to write screenplays and I studied with Sid Field and oh. it took me like months to write a screenplay and only like a day to write a song and I thought wait a minute <laughs> the ratio is not appealing and so when I got <laughs> successful as a songwriter I thought I still love all those characters talking in my mind but I really better stick with this so then in the 80s I started studying so, uh, screenwriting again but you know it's it's not really what I do, but I just love movies, you know. And you've scored a few, quite a few of them, actually. Well, I did um, the music for a lot of Henry Jaglum films, yeah. But I wouldn't really call myself a film scorer, although the man who's making the movie, he likes using the instrumentals of my songs underneath stuff. And I, I can do that as long as there's melody, but I can't do car crashes and car chases. <laughs> I don't think there's any loss there. So, <laughs> so, so you start, so without really being a good reader, but are you a good writer? Like, so how, okay, when you collaborate on a song with another songwriter, are they do, are they writing it down? Do you, how? If you think about it, if you're writing a song, it isn't written down anywhere because you're making it up. So I'm not sure why people feel that it's necessary to notate it unless someone else is going to sing it. Now, when cabaret singers sing my song, they all want lead sheets. So I get somebody to make them. Okay. It's painstaking to do the rhythm of a lead sheet of the melody. But, you know, I can do it because I went to night school and learned how. But <laughs> really, the writing of things down, if I collaborate someone's given me a melody and I write the words or someone's given me the words and I write the music. Mostly I just make it up and record it. You don't really Is there one of it. those two that you tend to lean more to, Harriet? Do you lean more to the lyric or the music or not, not necessarily? I, I used to just listen to music and didn't know what the hell they were talking about, but <laughs> I grew out of that. And lyrics are very important. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I write with Misha Siegel, he thinks of me as a lyricist. When I write with Arthur Hamilton, I'm the composer. Wow. So, you know, it, it just depends upon whom I'm writing with, but I mostly write by myself. And what, how, how long, how did Ain't No Way to Treat a Lady happen? Was it quick? Was it slow? Was it arduous? It was quick. I was on a plane. As I say, I was on an airplane as I was leaving him for the last time. It was one of the last times I left him for the last time. <laughs> so on the plane, I, I got the idea. 
I guess it was yourself you were involved with. I would have sworn it was me. I might have found out <laughs> sooner if you'd if you'd ever let me close enough to see that ain't no way to treat a lady. That's all I had. I came back home once the plane landed. I made up the music and I finished the song. It probably didn't take more than a day, but um, wow. it's not how long it takes, you know. Well, no, but I think sometimes things come quickly when they're sort of divinely guided. Well, you know, if you're communicating something to someone, which mm. I was, you know, you and I are having a conversation. I'm not laboring over what I'm going to say to you. Now, granted, right. if it fits the music and has to rhyme, it takes a certain degree of craft. But, but if you have to labor over things, there may be a problem. Now, I have had songs that I couldn't quite get it, and I'd wake up one day and I had it, and, but that's very rare. Mm -hmm. Usually they come kind of at once. Okay, so speaking of that, how about if we have a little taste of it? Okay. Not a little taste of it. How about if we have the whole damn thing? <laughs> okay. Um, the way, uh, please welcome Andrea Ross Green, who sing, sings with me. I never leave home without her. I love you, Andrea. I'm so happy to see you. I miss you so much. I miss you both so much. I miss you too. It's great seeing you. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the picture now and make it all you guys. Okay. Um, when this song became a hit, well, I recorded it on my first album, and then Helen Reddy heard it on the radio and she covered it. And then Many years later in the 90s, when I re-recorded it, Nick Vinay was my producer, and he suggested I put another song in the middle of it to prove it was a love song and not a feminist militant statement. Not that I'm above <laughs> making that's, that, that's but you know, after she wrote I Am Woman and had a hit with it, Anything that came after it, people were convinced was a militant feminist statement. So the fact that this was a love song is is proven by the fact that another song that was on the radio at the time, One Time Lover, I've now put in the middle of it. And hopefully it will be clearer that this was some sort of strange love song. <laughs> yourself you were involved with I would have sworn it was me I might have found that soon if you'd only let me close enough to see that ain't no way to treat a lady no way to treat your baby Shut. That ain't 
I'm gonna cry. I'm clapping. I had myself muted. Oh my, you know, you guys are like two angels when you sing together. You just are, your voices 
our magic together. That well, was gorgeous. She, she can do that with anybody. I hate to tell you, but. <laughs> well, I've heard Andrea sing by herself and I've heard her sing with other people, but I have to say you two together are special magic. Thank you. And that's just the way it is. And people are commenting about how there's nothing like hearing a song until you hear it sung by the writer oh, and how yeah. different, you know, Helen Reddy did a beautiful job with that's with, you know, way to treat a lady she didn't sing the mashup, which is so brilliantly put together, but, but there's nothing like hearing you sing it. And Thanks. especially hearing you sing it with Andrea. Do you guys, while you're sitting there together, do you want to do a new song and 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 let's oh, do that while you're sitting at the piano? Sure, that would be great. Um, Excellent. Oh yeah, well, we should do the title song of my new album, which is Paintings. The song is called Paintings. Um, is this album available now? No, no, it's it it's being. Um, Joe Lomano, my bass player, has to come in and do his part. I I did piano vocals and each person in my band, they all have their parts because they've played with me so much. They right. added it. So now Joe's going to do his and then Edward Oslander, who's producing it, is going to mix it. But I, I called it paintings because a lot of my songs have pictures, but also because this song is is important to me. I saw a movie about um, Van Gogh. Oh. And I, I was very moved by how his brother was with him. He really believed in him. And I thought, you know, most artists struggle just like he did. And their families do try to support them in their art. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. they say, why don't you get a real job? But most of the time they say, oh, we really like what you do. For instance, I have a friend who's an actor and he goes home and his his family will say, well, you know, that show we watch on TV, why aren't you playing the lead? You could do that, you know. Uh -huh. or your, your paintings are just as good as the ones we saw at that gallery. Why aren't yours up there? Or why doesn't Adele sing your songs? You know what I mean? It's like, they mean well. Yes. <laughs> but what I thought was um, Van Gogh, you know, he uh, went through it like everybody else, but you know, sometimes it pays off. Sometimes you just can't wait that long. But I love the movie I saw about him and it inspired this song. Wonderful. Okay, and what's the song called? It's called Paintings. Paintings. Paintings, it's the name of the album. How solvent he could be if he'd sell one of those paintings. Yet he loves each one of twelve up on his wall. So his family comes through like they always do. It seems all that he has to do is call their only paintings. It's just he has so many, you'd think he'd part with one of them. Maybe none of them would bring enough to pay his bills. And surely no one wants to buy the whole shebang. So there they hang. The yellows are so bright, it's like they're bleeding sunshine. 
wonders if the world might see it too. So he moves with such speed, once his mind is freed. If life's a puzzle, color is the clue. They're only paintings, it's just art. He has so many, you'd think he'd part with one of them. But maybe none of them would bring enough to pay his bills. And surely no one wants to buy the whole shebang. So there they hang. He wishes they would sell with every breath. If only he can last until one decade past his death. That's when the paintings on his wall became the paintings in hallowed halls and galleries and through eternity we all see the sunlight too the future learned by heart the song he sang Oh my God. I was silenced. Oh my God. Is that gorgeous? And, and, and such a simple idea that, yeah, it's beautiful. Thank I you. love it. I, you know, you always, you never cease to amaze me. I, oh, I there's not a song that you've written that I don't love. Thank there's you. not one there. There's no, there's no B sides. There's no, <laughs> Oh, I got to get to this. I got to get past this one to get to the good stuff. There's none of that. Oh, that's the Harriet so Shock album. Wonderful. Beautiful. Um, so before we let Andrea go for a while, um, why don't you guys talk about how you met and how your collaboration began? Oh, uh, boy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she should tell you because she found a book with my picture on it before she met me. So she can tell you that story. Okay. That's so wrong. Um, <laughs> I was introduced to Harriet uh to Harriet's music when I was walking down the street with my little transistor radio and I heard Ain't No Way to Treat a Lady by Helen Reddy and I stopped dead in my tracks and I went oh that is so gorgeous that's mm -hmm. just the kind of melody I want to write <laughs> and I listened to the whole song and it, it was just oh my god this is so great so I bought the sheet music fast forward a million years later when I moved here and I found her book, Becoming Remarkable, in uh, Barnes and Noble or Borders. And I remembered her name. And I, I thought, oh, well, I got to buy this. I bought it. I read it. I was so inspired by it. And um, there's a picture of Harriet on the front of the book. Now, I had just moved here. So I was trying to get my life together here, a job and place to live and all that stuff. And I read, I read it three times. <laughs> I, was, I was so inspired. And then one day I thought, okay, I got to do something musically. So I picked up the LA Weekly and the listing for the next night said LA Women in Music Soiree hosted by Harriet Shock. And I said, okay, I got to go and I've got to get up my nerve <laughs> and introduce myself. <laughs> now, having the book on my my nightstand mm -hmm. I looked at this picture the picture actually haunted me and I I had this knowing that something was going to happen with this woman I'd never met 
but I knew something was going to happen. So I go into Highland Grounds where the show was happening. And I'm, I'm, I'm real shy when I meet people the first time and, and okay, I'm going to get my nerve up. She walks up to me and says, don't I know you? Oh, you stop. Familiar. I think I was looking at her out of the book. Wow. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, I believe, I believe in this, in that stuff, that things are just faded yeah. and meant to be. That's. And then you came to my CD release of, uh, the live album. Was yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I said one time I said, I need a team. I can't do all this. Cause I was carrying everything. I was being my own roadie. It was horrible. Okay. And so, well, I decided I've, I've always done volunteer work of, you know, one kind or another. So I see Harriet at a show at the coffee gallery, actually. And she's, you know, she's doing everything before the show. And, you know, and I, and I, I said to her, do you want some help? So she hands me a hundred dollars and says, no, complete stranger hands me a hundred dollars and said, yeah, you can sell CDs. And so I did. And, uh, the rest is history and, and yeah. at, at the show at highland grounds where i met her a couple of her students were performing and their songs were incredible and i talked to them afterwards and i said well you know tell me what is it you know how does this work this whole songwriting thing that she does because i've been a songwriter for years right um and i was trying to decide whether to study with harriet or whether to do the ucla songwriting extension and one of the students said to me well you just have to take her class. Mm. And I said, okay, well, how does it work? What do you do? You know, Anna she Montgomery. said, she said, it was oh, Sally, I love Sally, Anna. Zito. Sally Zito. And, and, and Sally said, well, I can't tell you, you just have to do it. So I said, okay, I took, I started taking the class and it's the best thing I've ever done for my songwriting. And uh, then eventually I started singing with Harriet, which is just such a dream to get to sing these songs. There's just, I'm, I'm a huge fan and they're so beautiful. And I feel I'm the luckiest girl in the world I'm the to get to sing one. with her. Oh, you two are too cute. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, it's beautiful that you make beautiful music together, but you also have this fabulous friendship and, and yeah. have so much uh, love and respect for each other. It's a beautiful thing to behold. And I've been on set with you guys and watched you guys when there's pressure and, and stress and you still, between the two of you maintain this beautiful, uh, even when there might be somebody a little crazy at the helm, <laughs> who I love also. Um, but anyway, uh, thank you so much for that, Andrea. And, uh, so I, I assume we'll, you will be back cause there'll be more music before okay. we go. I'll be back. You'll be back. <laughs> okay. Be thank you, Andrea. So, okay. So Harriet, so your parents approved, they not only approved. So, so was music always, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Was it always this, were you clear from no. the start? No, I always wanted to do music, but you have to understand I'm ancient. So no, people weren't doing that for a living when I grew up, unless it was Cole Porter or Rogers and Hart. But, you know, uh, Carol King and I were kind of contemporaries, but I hadn't heard her when I was trying to decide what to do with my life. So um, I got a degree in English and um, then I, I was married to an actor 
and I had to, someone had to work. No, he, <laughs> he did really well after we broke up. Um, he ran a repertory equity theater in Horse Cave, Kentucky for 30 years, which is amazing. Wow. But when we were together, I got a job, not because he wasn't working, because he would work from time to time, but I was an advertising copywriter because it was the first job I could get out of college. And so not until I was out here a little while did I get a publishing deal, and then I quit the advertising business. But I didn't always know I was going to be a musician. No, not not by a long shot. Okay, and so when how did it first start to happen for you i know that um that your first okay how did you segue from being a musician to being a songwriter and selling oh, no, music no, i didn't segue no when i was in the seventh grade i wrote my first song and um <laughs> it, it was horrible but you know i always wanted to make up little melodies and words and stuff i was a po you know in school if if i could write a poem instead of a essay or something i chose that and mm -hmm. all through college as an english major i, I wrote poems but not until I got out here did I try to write songs. And mm. the way it happened was I would go to these vegetarian restaurants where for dinner you would play. You know, they didn't pay you or anything. And then I would be in Westwood singing my songs and you couldn't hear me over the sizzle of the fondue. <laughs> you know, it's like, who is that? And I would be carrying my little keyboard and everything. It was really uh, something. But when I finally got a regular place to play in mm -hmm. the 70s, you could only play original material at gay clubs. So I went to the Bitter End West, which was a gay bar in North Hollywood, and I developed my fan base because First of all, I, I learned to talk to the audience. If, mm. if you've ever seen my show, you know there's some of that going on. And the reason I did was that these people really were not there to see me. And I had to enroll <laughs> them in the songs. <laughs> and so I would present a puzzle that the song would solve. And that's how I- Oh, got wait, wait, explain on. that. Give me, can well, you give us an example? You know, kind of like, um, have you ever uh, been in a relationship like, uh, I know that you know you, you would never get in a cab and the driver turns around and says, I don't know how to drive. <laughs> and yet you would stay in a relationship with someone who says, I don't know what love is. <laughs> I don't know what love is. And yet you stay there, don't you? And so then I play, um, think how much you'll love me when I'm gone, you know? And th the point I'm trying to make is that people sometimes have to leave for the other person to wake up but these people are all very romantically inclined right and this audience was digging all the romance do you know what i mean yes so if i could write love songs and enroll them in the plot they would listen to me i love that and i love and at your shows you do you do i love singer songwriters who talk about the music and where it came from and what it's about and and it and it does involve me that much more and i am that much more inclined to listen to the lyric and not just be with the music which i love and you do that brilliantly um so everybody you can go to is it the, you're going to be at the coffee gallery is that where you coffee said you're going to be backstage let me hold up the flyer hold up the flyer 
<laughs> oh, they can't see that. Oh, they, they can't. can't re they can't you, really see if that. If you look up on my Facebook page or um, the Coffee Gallery backstage in Altadena, their page, you can get their phone number and call and make a reservation. It's two in the afternoon. I really like the matinees because oh. then we get to do something fun afterwards. I've actually seen you do a matinee there. Uh, it, on Saturday, it is. Yeah. On no, Saturday. it's on Sunday. This oh, it's on Sunday. on Sunday. Okay, Sunday I at two p.m. Where you sat and everything. <laughs> well, I sat with Misha. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Right in I, front. I sat with Misha right in front. It was wonderful. Oh, the good old days when I used to do that. I'm ready to do that again. So <laughs> I will. I will. So okay. So so you wrote your first song when you were in the seventh grade. Yeah. In the seventh and, grade. But but I did once I started playing this gay club, publishers started coming to see me. And so I got an offer from two different publishing companies. And I went with- uh, So you were already now. doing all original songs, Harriet? Yeah, that's all I ever did. Okay. I mean, I think I did one song that I didn't write, you know, mm -hmm. something by Elton John, but I, I had always done originals. And so, I, I got offered a publishing deal and then another one. And I went with the company that is called Cold Gems. It's now Sony, but what isn't? <laughs> anyway, so it's, yeah. And so I, and then they made demos with me. Roger Gordon, my publisher, made demos with me and took them to Russ Regan at the record company of 20th Century Records. And I, I made three albums for them. There was a little thing in the meantime with, Columbia Records, but they had a payola scandal and everyone got dropped from the label. I got mm -hmm. a car out of it, but then I signed with Russ Regan. That was great. And when, Harriet, did you start selling your music for to other artists to perform? You know, that's kind of a misunderstanding. You don't ever sell anything to anyone. The way it works is if so, if another artist hears your song and it's already been recorded, then they can get what's called a compulsory license. You can't hold it back anymore once it's out there, been recorded. All that means is you can't hold it, but it doesn't mean you don't make the money. You still own that, you and the publisher. And so when Helen Reddy heard my version on the radio, she recorded it. When Manfred Mann heard my record, he cut Hollywood Town. And when David Cassidy and the Partridge family heard That's the Way It Is With You, they recorded it. I mean, I didn't go to them and ask them. I don't even know them. You know? Well, no, but some songwriters do. Some songwriters solicit their music to artists. Yeah, I don't know how that works. I've never been able to do that. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't sound like you've had to do that. No, no, how how not, did it's not like they're clamoring at my door. What I mean is because I've always recorded mm -hmm. and I and my eighth album is coming out now, that's how they hear them, you know. And there was a radio station in the 70s called KNX FM that would play every album cut. So I was very fortunate. Wow. But, uh, they got played on the radio and that's how people heard them. How did Johnny Mathis find you? Well, the little record deal I had at Columbia before the Paola scandal, um, the man who signed me was an intelligent, literate man named Jack Gold. He was the L.A. office and 
Clive Davis was the New York office. Mm -hmm. And whenever someone would go to Jack and he would turn them down, they'd say, we're going to have to go over your head to Clive Davis. And he said, over my head and around my back, the two most traveled paths in America. <laughs> I love this man. He was oh. so brilliant and eloquent. Anyway, he was producing Johnny Mathis and he had heard my, my demo of it. I never recorded that song. It was called, Ooh, What You Do. And um, Johnny was in the studio and he didn't know the song, but I, I got to go teach it to him in the vocal booth. Wow. The band was playing. You have to understand as a child, I walked around the house with his albums like oh. this. Oh. So to be able to be there while he recorded it. And, and he had a friend there and he said, listen to this. I drink up your liquid movements like I'm dying of thirst. Have you ever heard anything like that? So oh that was my. the first line of it. So he liked it. That's so wonderful. <laughs> Oh my God. And how, how about, um, you know, I just saw Smokey on the street and he was so lovely and I got to chat with him for a moment. How really? about Smokey? On the street? Well, yeah, I was getting out of PT and he was walking towards me and had a knit cap on and a thing. And I said, Smokey. And he turned around and, and, uh, I, he, yeah, he was just lovely. I got to give him a little hug. He was a lovely man. Um, yeah, no, he, I didn't get to give my, that's, that's wrong. I wanted to give him, I stayed in my car, but he stopped and he, but anyway, so how, how did you, uh, how did Smokey get your music? Well, there was a movie called Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. It was a Motown film and Misha Siegel and I were signed to Joe Bad Motown's publishing company. And um, we were told by a, an executive at the company that a love song was needed. So we wrote first time on a Ferris wheel. We took it to Mr. Gordy. He said, we don't need a love song. I don't know why you've done this. Mm. And then he played it and he called the head of TriStar at three in the morning and had him uh -huh. because he said he was rewriting the end of the film for this song. Oh. And, and Smokey Robinson and Sarita sang it in the film. You may have heard it by Carl Anderson, who also had the an amazing version of it. He and Gloria Loring have a, a record of it. And, you know, 35 people have sung the song, but I'm very wow. proud that Smokey sang it in the movie. That is so extraordinary. And how about Roberta Flack? Well, I wrote with a, a writer named William D. Smith, Smitty Smith, and he uh, asked me to write the words to it, and it's called Happiness. And she recorded it. He he knew her or he played with her or something, but that was a thrill. Mm. And so Harriet, you you do a lot of things. You've written books, you are a singer-songwriter, you are a teacher, and you are, for anyone who doesn't know, probably the premier songwriting teacher in Los Angeles. I mean, you've taught oh, well, thank can you, you tell us some of the students that have come through your, your well? Your you know, kitchen. Um, you know a lot of them and everything, but I I don't take credit for these people. I'm like the photographer who everybody says, "How do you get those pictures of those tomatoes?" And he said, "I just stand there and they bring me tomatoes, and eventually I say that when I take the picture." <laughs> so it's not like uh, I'm responsible for these amazing writers like Tracy Newman and Anna mm -hmm. Montgomery and Sally Zito mm -hmm. and Kevin Kelso and. Laura Joy Gold and, and Betsy Jackson. I mean, they're all wonderful. 
wonderful. They were wonderful when they came to me. I mean, the other night I heard Craig Lincoln sing this song called Cats and Dogs. And he said, when he auditioned with me to take my course, he played mm -hmm. that song. And I was probably screaming. I mean, it, before he studied with me, he wrote the best song, one of the best songs I've ever heard. So I, they're not always perfect, but they're always talented. And I can tell, you know. And so what I do is I get them and I give them the steps of writing a song that will trick them into doing what professional songwriters do naturally, which is in steps and I exercise every muscle of songwriting along the way so that they're not dragging some weak muscle with them. Can you, I, without giving away your, because it's way too big and we're not going to do that here, but can you give us one tool that you give songwriters that perhaps they might not know before they come to you? Well, first of all, try to be visual. You know, mm. every songwriting, every teacher of any kind of writing will say show don't tell. Right. But my little trick is I keep them communicating at all times. Mm. They speak English, but somehow they think songwriting is another language. They stop <laughs> speaking English and they start songwriting, you know, no, no, it's all the same, but you have to know whom you're speaking to, where you are, what you're saying, what does it look like, you know, stuff like that. Because it makes the listener uneasy if you're speaking in vague abstractions and we don't, we can't picture the scene. Harriet, are, are most of your lyrics, all of your lyrics autobiographical? Oh, no. Well, when I wrote First Time on a Ferris Wheel, I didn't have a lot in common with a young Afro African-American <laughs> man who was studying Kung Fu and was a virgin. But he was falling in love for the first time. And I used to do that. <laughs> so uh, I figured, okay, first time on a period. Oh, yeah, okay. And then when I did the Pippi Longstocking songs, I didn't live alone with a horse and a monkey. But I was independent, like she was. And so I just took it from that viewpoint. I do a lot of film work, and, and I'm not always my story is not always theirs but i will find the one thing those two those two characters myself and the character have in common and i'll try to write from that it's a little like acting you know absolutely okay so now let's talk about your your film career uh, and henry jaglam how did you meet henry Oh, well, it's because of Andrea. She oh. had remembered, okay, Misha had me write a screenplay about something he wanted written, and I, I was trying to be a screenwriter, and we sent it to Henry Jaglum years ago, mm -hmm. and he was very complimentary. So when Andrea saw that he was going to speak at this video place, uh, she said, here is Henry Jaglum. Remember your script and everything? So I said, oh, okay. So we went to see him and he said, I only make movies because I can't write songs. <laughs> oh my God. I said, I only write songs because I can't make movies. I have to meet this man. So I, I sent him, you know, he talked to me about a movie he was doing, which was going shopping. And it turns out I did the theme song and all the underscore on piano and everything, but it, it took forever for me to get him what I was trying to show him because he's not as technological as I thought he might be when I sent it by, you know, an MP3 or something. Right, right. But he is just 
well, you know him. And I tell you, he was interviewed for the film about me. And honestly, when I was in a play for a year, which is what the movie, Just 45 Minutes from Broadway was based on, mm -hmm. all the women were getting their hair done and everything. And I was backstage talking to Henry because Henry is just the most interesting storyteller and the stories are true I mean, and he's it's a and he's him. and he knows everybody knows and the everybody. i mean the people he knows and the women that he's loved and the the life that he's led orson wells he had lunch with orson every day I mean, every day and i read that book it was absolutely mm -hmm. called my lunches yes with orson. amazing yeah and so so once you collaborated with Henry, did it just become a thing? Henry tends to have a company and you became part of that company. No, he, every, every project he did, he kind of just, is there something that I, can you give me a song for, or can you do underscoring for these scenes and things mm. like that? It wasn't understood that I was going to do it. And then um, when he did the movie you were in, the, the M, M word. He just wanted a song about menopause. Of course, <laughs> I happen to have one of those lying around. So anyway, <laughs> he's a scream. But I mean, I played it and Andrea sang it at the end of the movie and we were all in it. And that was a hoot. Yes, it you know. was. Yes, it was. And I have you and Andrea to thank because you speaking of him, I had the gumption to reach out to him on Facebook. And the next thing I knew, he was giving me a part in the movie. And it was like, yes, sorry, Bob. Well, do you remember when you had him to Women Who Write? Oh, yes. I had the unfortunate. I know you drove him. I oh. dro no, I drove in front. His secretary said he doesn't oh. like freeways. So you have to understand to get to your house without going on a freeway is oh. interesting. He said, I saw things I've never seen in LA. <laughs> People's clothes hanging out. God. Shelter. Oh, yeah. I remember you came in quite stressed. That was a horrible trip for you. Yeah, but well, it was a we were an hour and a half late, too. So. Yeah, it was a pretty wonderful, and I had moved Women Who Write. It's the only time I ever did that. I made it in the afternoon because Henry wouldn't come at night. That's right. <laughs> and I had never done that before, but um, but he was worth the move. And he's, he actually has done this show twice, and I just asked him if he would do it again. He's like, well, I've already told the stories. I said, yeah, but there's a new audience now. They're always who new. No, we had dinner with him a few times on New Year's Eve when he couldn't mm -hmm. have the party because for one reason or another. And I swear, I heard stories after all these years I've never heard just last New Year's Eve. Wow. Wow. And it's nice to know that you've continued the tradition. I have to say that some of the greatest New Year's Eves of my life have been in Henry's living room. Um, I know. What fabulous parties those were. I know. Oh, God, I miss that, too. Um, so, so how, so what was the first uh, movie that you going shopping with, with Henry, you mean? Period. But yes, with oh. Henry as well. Um, are we talking about that I did music for? Yes, yes. Oh, there was a, a movie. I can't remember the name of it now. Oh. And they didn't like the song and they called me in and I wrote it and they used it. And then the original writers whose song got thrown out came after me and it was- Oh Lord. Hullabaloo. But for the most part, um, I am contacted by the filmmaker. For instance, 
the way I got Pippi Longstocking uh, was that the man who had the audition for who would play it ran into a friend of mine when they announced that Tammy Aaron would be Pippi. And he found out I'd written Ain't No Way to Treat a Lady. So he was convinced this made me a feminist. And Pippi was a feminist. So we should uh, we should meet, you know. <laughs> you never know what people are going to think about things. But that was a lucky break. And then I brought Misha in because he needed a film score as well. And then we also worked a lot with Mike Young, who did um, The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus and the secret garden all animated and everything and i love solving the problem that the the film is having or the tv show or whatever with the song i mean they frequently have a problem and they need it solved you know in the secret garden the bird is singing a song but it, it he, but he can't speak so it it was an interesting problem but you know the phrase if you listen to the meaning not the words worked and so once they had that and i built the rest of it around it then we got all the songs so there's frequently a first song that you audition with and then you do all the songs for the project but it's not easy <laughs> yeah I, I, I live love, i love go ahead i'm sorry projects yeah um less july by the way is saying hello oh he was my percussionist at one time and we've just remained friends do you know i knew less i booked less july in new york in 1986 i want to say it's i've known less for a very long time so it's lovely that uh wow to that you guys have that connection as well um so okay harriet so tell us everything that's coming up so that we can be on the lookout okay well as you know tom solari is making a film called Hollywood Town, The Harriet Shock Story. And in the process of raising the money for it, mm -hmm. he had a perk. A perk is a bribe that gets people to give you money. <laughs> if, you, if you want this, give us money and we'll give it to you. Like mm -hmm. my albums, my books, all that. But then he came up with, Harriet will write a song for you. So <gasps> for some a, you know, exorbitant fee. He, I thought no one's going to do that. And then three people did. So the first person who did was someone you should know, um, really, because Vicki, he is like you, one of the best interviewers. And he, uh, who he is actually is he was the first gay judge in Canada. Wow. He married the women, the two women who later went to the Supreme Court to get that decision, you know, wow. that was legal. Yeah, he's he's in Wikipedia, he's no. What's but, his name? Well, his name is Harvey Brownstone. And he has an interview show um, of people mostly in the industry and he is in Canada. And he interviewed me because Jim Keaton who is Helen Reddy's fan club president and dear friend for 50 years, was interviewed about Helen for four different episodes. And in the process of getting to know Harvey, Jim said, you should interview Harriet. So he did. And then he got the perk of, you know, and I wrote a song for Harvey. So oh. then I went back and you should go to his site. I'm on there. I nice. mean, my song is too, but even better 
in the process of showing Harvey the song, I sang it, but I also got Gary Lynn Floyd to sing it, who's an amazing singer and a very good friend. He used to sing back up for me, but he's and so in interviewing Gary, after he sang Harvey's song, Harvey mm -hmm. asked Gary, you know, you sing really well on Harriet's song. Why don't you, now this is a live interview. Why don't you do a whole album of her songs? And I thought, oh my God, what if he says, ooh, I wouldn't want to do that. But luckily he said, what a great idea. So he is currently doing a wow. whole album of, song, of my songs called Present Shock. Oh, I love that. Songs of Harriet Shock by Gary Lynn Floyd. So that's going on. The film is going on. My album is happening. And so it's like, I just am having so much fun. And tell us about the songwriting class, Harriet, and how can people who are, okay, do we have to be a songwriter to take your class? No. Can we be a novice? How does this work? Absolutely. Oh, uh, my cat just jumped up. Um, it, it works like this. If you are willing to communicate and if you have some degree of musical ability or if you are able to write, uh, willing to communicate, some of my students are only lyricists, but mostly they write music and lyrics. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a step-by-step -step approach. So you just start with nothing. You end up with every muscle of songwriting exercised eight in a row. And at the end of the class, you have a song and a way of writing songs in the future that takes the effort out of it. It doesn't take all of it, but it is so much easier to do it this way. Wow. Than if, the way people usually go about it. You know, I mean, you, you see a ballet dancer and you think I could do that. <laughs> no, uh, she's exercised all those muscles one at a time and she's doing Swan Lake and you're not, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying there's a way to to make it easier. I love that. And do they go do they do they end up with like a like the steps and and they take that Well, they end they do one step a week and I review them. Some steps will give you gobs of options. Other mm. steps will focus you. Then you take that and gobs of options and like tacking into the wind you get exactly where you want to go you correct and correct and get there i have never been able to put it in a book because it takes kind of feedback from me on which whatever that is is the best one to go with and then they expand on that so at the end of the eight or ten weeks the first two weeks are something other than steps uh -huh. At the end of the 10 weeks, they have a song and a way of writing them in the future. They don't have to continue studying with me, but they usually like to because they like the other people. They like uh, the fact that there's a different first step and, oh, maybe I could write a song about that. I never thought of that. Things like that. Well, and also you're, you're workshopping that song all the way through, right? The, the process. Yeah. So an outside voice, especially one like yours, I, is very helpful. I'm, and I've heard many songs that have come out of your workshop and they're extraordinary. I mean, the artists are extraordinary. You're extraordinary. The songs are extraordinary. So, okay. So when is the next, the next, the next session starting up and how do people contact you? Oh, um, in a few weeks, actually, I need to get on that, but, um, the way to contact me is if they know my name at gmail.com, Harriet, it's not if you know, it's 
Harriet Schock, S-C-H-O-C-K, Harriet with one T, at gmail.com. And I'll answer every email. If you email me that way, you can go to my website. I'm bad about remembering to check those emails because it's a different email address. But Harriet mm -hmm. Shock at Gmail is a very direct way to get to me. Perfect. Perfect. Everybody, everybody can do that. That's okay, right. so you're going to give us a little more music before we go. Absolutely. So I, I, I would love to hear another new song, but I also made a personal request. And we'll I would see. love to, to do one of the songs, you know, when I, I, anything you want, but I wanted to say that when Tom told me he was going to do a movie about my life and people have said I should write a, a book, you know, I don't remember stuff. I'm in present time and that's what mm -hmm. I'm interested in. So if, if somebody said, what was that place you went when you were 18? I don't remember. I'm sorry, but I decided maybe I should write something from uh, my childhood. And I, I wrote this song and it incorporates my wonderful sister, Sandra, who may be watching this at some point, my father, my mother, and a woman called Ernestine Jefferson, who was like my other mother. Wow. And uh, she would, she was there since my sister, my older sister before she was born. So she's been with us our whole life. And um, when my parents would go out of town, you have to understand, this is a long time ago, Vicki. Ernie would, Ernestine Jefferson, Ernie, we called her, would sneak us out of the house and she didn't drive. So we would get on the bus. Now we're talking the fifties here. So we rode in the back of the bus. And then when we got to the movie theater, we were on the third balcony, but we were with Ernie. And it never occurred to me how horrible this was until I was a little bit older. But being with her was so wonderful. So um, even though she only comes a little bit later in the song, I want you to know she is. So this is um, about all the I can remember about my childhood, so this is it. Childhood fading, so many scenes. How do writers remember all through their teens? I just see snippets red, blue, and green. My parents, my sister, and Ernestine. It's all a renoir of colorful times, learning new jokes and nursery rhymes. And the lake is still there as the stone skips across it, as bright as the sun will allow. And the hand is still young as it learns how to toss it. And they're all still right here in my neck. Music playing, Daddy and me. Why is E flat much harder than it was in C? He plays marimba so easily. My comfort, my heaven, my ecstasy. It's all a rendezvous. 
stepped in a not quite transparent haze and the lake is still there as the stone skips across it as bright as the sun will allow and the hand is still young as it learns how to toss it and they're all still right here in my now asking my mother to give some object being so bored at five forgetting to thank her for her part in the project of getting me here alive me and Sandra we learned from the best when our Ernestine snuck us away from the nest we never told them childhood with Ernie forever blessed it's all a renoir of our history but I can still touch it with memory and the lake is still there as the stone skips across it as bright as the sun will allow and my hand is still young as I learn how to toss it they're all still right here, sometimes so clearly. They're all still right here in my mind. Have a barking dog, but okay, that is just stunning, Harriet. That is gorgeous. Um, will you guys do the song that I requested earlier? is it over and over and over it is okay sure um i live in a duplex and uh this is it and upstairs <laughs> when i first moved in there was an elderly couple in their 90s and um i was afraid i was making too much noise so i uh one time they called me and in, invited me upstairs for fruit and i thought well they're in their 90s i want to know what they eat so anyway i went up there and um, I was so inspired by their love for each other at this age and everything. And I just wrote this song and I, I called her and I said, I've written a song in tribute to your marriage. I hope that's all right. And she said, well, it certainly can't harm the relationship. And then they got all dressed up and came downstairs to hear the song. So I played it for them. They were very polite. They took a lyric sheet, went upstairs. And then she called me in about five minutes and she said, you know, this is really good. We just read the words. We couldn't hear when you were singing it. So I was very thankful that I wasn't making too much noise. Looks like it's from the 50s Except that there's a cable in the back He sits in his special chair Half awake and half aware She is in the room somewhere That is his pivotal fact The photograph is clearly from the 30s Smiling features of the bright and 
Okay, wait a minute. I got to put myself back in here. Oh my God. I love that song. So I can't even tell you how much I love that song. I'm so glad. Oh God. You did. Oh, yay, yay. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And you're getting so much love on Facebook right now. <laughs> Everybody's shooting up hearts. Um, just gorgeous. Just beautiful. Um, I have loved seeing you both again and oh, same here, Vicky. spending and this time i miss having you me on again this oh, is so wonderful you do such a good job with this and your other show really honestly i i am just not only indebted to you but just think of all the people that you have helped with that mm -hmm. i i like thinking about that don't you Thank you. And I think so much about the Tuesdays that we shared and the extraordinary, extraordinary afternoons we shared with artists in the living room that ay, 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 just true. laughing, crying, loving all of the women just um, eating. It was, yeah, I miss it. Incredible. Do you I, think I, that will ever happen again? You know, I don't live there anymore. And oh. uh, the new place is not really conducive to it. We have a very, very small area to park and we're up on, at a very high hill. So I don't know how we would do it, I but I'd like to figure out some way um, to do something like that. Maybe just uh -huh. have a few people up here and then zoom out the rest of it. But uh -huh. yeah, I really miss us all being together and having that yeah. experience yeah. together. But I've loved this and I've I've loved listening to you and, and chatting with you both. And so after the so I'm gonna be away this weekend. Where's the is there another another opportunity to see you guys? Um well apparently I'm getting some sort of lifetime achievement award on Ooh. March 7th, but it is in honor of someone's birthday. It, it's a woman named Carmelita Pittman, and she is having a birthday celebration. And she asked me to sing Ain't No Way to Treat a Lady. Now it's the Catalina Bar and Grill, so I have to play it in a key I don't usually play it in. So <laughs> that's already a challenge. But um, she said, I ordered your plaque today. So apparently she's giving me some. 
But that's an enjoyable show, but it isn't my show. But um, I'll definitely keep you informed, you know. Please but do. Please when, do. When the album comes out, I'll have an album release and you can come to that because yeah. I'm I would very love grateful that. for all the wonderful things that are happening and you were certainly part of it. And all the people yes. I've met through you, it's it's truly heart. It's a kind of heart thing, you know, when I think of those women in that room and oh, it's wonderful. Playing for those people was really rewarding too. Oh you know? God, I don't think oh. there's a better audience than the women that were in the living room. That's right. <laughs> all right, uh, we shared a lot together. Well, thank you so, so much for doing this. I love you both. I adore you. We love you, you too. Vicky. So grateful for the music and the stories and I hope to see you in person really soon. Let's yes. do it. Okay. Excellent. Have a good Bye -bye. trip. Thank you.